pastors here, and I want to welcome you to worship at Faith Covenant Church in this Christmas season. We are continuing our series, as uh, Greg has introduced today, on the uh, book of Isaiah, where we're looking at some of the prophetic passages that announce the promise of God that he would one day send a Savior, a Messiah, who would, as we're hearing about, be the Prince of Peace. We uh, know that the angels in Luke 2 came to the shepherds out in the field, and they were afraid. And, and, and the angels said, do not be afraid, because I bring you good news that will be of great joy for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. This idea of God bringing joy to the world is, is a promise and an invitation. We, we talked last week about how the, the phrase joy to the world is an announcement of something that's worth celebrating, but it can also be a statement of faith. This Advent season is a reminder that life in this world is a season of anticipatory waiting for God's promises to be fulfilled in our lives in the same way that they were fulfilled in the Bible with the people of Israel and in Jesus' life. And we know that because Jesus rose from the dead and he is coming again, that promise will ultimately be fulfilled not only for each one of us, but for God's entire creation. And so as we anticipate the birth of the baby Jesus again at Christmas, we're reminded that even though we continue to live in the darkness of a broken and a fallen world, even as we continue to experience that, that brokenness and that fallenness within our own lives and with our own hearts and even within our own families and relationships, we're reminded that God is a God of justice and mercy and that he's promised that if we put our faith in him, that he will not only overcome the world, but he will overcome our own brokenness and the, and the sin that clings so tightly to each one of us. That's the pattern of hope and promise that we see in the Old Testament that becomes fulfilled in the New Testament, which is the joy that we celebrate at Christmas. God's faithfulness going all the way back to this pattern of relationship with the people of God in Israel reminds us that his promise fulfilled in our lives is intended to bring us joy. And that joy leads to a greater experience of faith in our lives. And as we see how this works itself out in the, in the book of Isaiah, we talked last week about how there are these three different portraits of what the Messiah will be like. In the first roughly third of Isaiah, there's this idea that he's going to be the coming king after David's own line. And then in the second third, he comes as the suffering servant, the one who will come to, to pay the price for the sins of God's people. And then in the final third, he comes as the anointed conqueror to overcome all the brokenness and the evil of this world. We talked a little bit last week about how there's so much of Jesus' good news message, his gospel message that's woven in and through the book of Isaiah. If you take the time to go through and read Isaiah during this Christmas season, you'll see all these little seeds of Jesus' gospel of peace and love and hope 
and harmony that are, that are, are foretold in there. And, and you could almost go through and construct an entire life of Jesus himself, both where he was going to be born and where he would minister and the family that he would come from and the kind of person he would be. Now, I wish we had time to go through and, and kind of find all those little seeds and unpack them. But, but for this season, we're just going to continue to do a little bit of a flyover of the book of Isaiah. And last week, we talked about how in chapter 7, uh, that Isaiah said that this, this branch would come from the stump of Jesse. A new shoot, a new vine would, would be born into the world out of what seemed to be a dead vine. And the vine was kind of that important symbol of the people of Israel because God was viewed as a gardener who planted a vineyard. And when he went to look for the fruit of his vineyard, the grapes, uh, there were no grapes. There was no fruitfulness. And, and, and so it was cut down, but it was cut down in hope that new life would come. Today in chapter 9, we get a glimpse that this branch that would come, who he said, you'll see a sign uh, that, that it's happening when you see a virgin who conceives and gives birth to a son. That's going to be the sign that this branch is now budding into the world. And today we're going to look at Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 7, and we're going to hear a little bit more about what this child would be like and how do we know that this sign is a sign for us. Now you can turn in your Bibles to chapter 9 and Isaiah. We'll also have it on the screen. We're going to read a couple verses at a time. I'd just like to start by reading us verses 1 and 2, and we'll have that on the screen for everyone. It says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Would you pray with me? God, we ask that the light of your love and of your son Jesus would shine in our hearts again this morning as we look to your word. Through your Holy Spirit, God, would you speak your words to us, inviting us to have eyes to see and ears to hear your good news message, which can be new again for us this morning. God, teach us how to be people of light and people of peace as we seek the restoration of your love and your hope, not only in our lives, but in your world as well. And we will thank you through Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. Now, as we see here in verses 1 and 2, Isaiah starts with this, this theme uh, of darkness and light. Though there, there will be no more gloom, he says, for those who were in distress. And, and this idea of gloom is this idea of this dark shroud covering you know, the, the eyes of the people. And, and, and this darkness that people were living in, this absence of sight, created a sense of distress, or, or it could be translated fear. The, the people were afraid because they, they couldn't see where, where their future was leading. They weren't sure where God was or where they were going in their lives. There there's darkness all around, and, and we know that from the story of Isaiah, as we talked about a little bit of last week, this darkness that the people were experiencing was a result of their abandoning their God and refusing to follow his ways and to pursue his laws in their lives, which left the people feeling like God was hidden from them. They couldn't see God. They didn't know where God was. They didn't know how to hear God's voice anymore. And they didn't know if they were even going to be able to survive as a people. And here Isaiah rests his vision of the future, this hope of the gospel 
on the devastation of the northern lands of Zebulun and Naphtali. The land of Naphtali was right along uh, the western shore of the Sea of Galilee and extended northward from there. And the, the land of Zebulun was to the west and the south of there and laid between Galilee and the Mediterranean Sea. And we know from history that these were the lands that were first overthrown and conquered by the rising empire of Syria in 733 The people were deported and the lands became Assyrian property. And Isaiah, in the midst of of what is known to be this tragic loss and this grief of the people that they've lost these lands and that their people have been deported, says that in that same place where darkness came, God's light would come and signal the glorious fulfillment of his promises. 733 years before Jesus was even born, God through Isaiah is identifying that the land of Galilee is going to be the place where this coming king would, would arise and, and would be the sign to his people that God's blessing was coming. And we know from Matthew 4, verses 12 through 17, that Jesus himself fulfilled this prophecy as he went to Galilee, to his hometown, and started his ministry there. The other thing that scholars suggest is interesting is that here in Isaiah, it's not just called Galilee, but it's called Galilee of the nations. In his future vision of God's blessing to his people, it's not just the people of Israel, but here in his vision, it's all of the nations that the Gentiles are included in this hope of this Messiah who would come. The Messiah that God was sending wasn't going to be just for the people of Israel, but it was going to be for the whole world. And it's not even so much just about the land as it is about, in verse 2, he says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. This idea of walking, we know from Scripture, has to do with relationship with God, right? Walking with God, keeping in step with God's Spirit. Uh, We talk about the discipleship pathway here at Faith Covenant Church where we follow Jesus and we walk with Him. It's a spiritual description of the life that we live in this world together with Jesus, And we see that the remnant of Israel that that God will bring to to bear will be walking in darkness in the tragedy of loss, but, but now they will be walking in light as God's blessing comes on their lives. And the result of this dawning light will be God's blessing and joy. In verse three, we're gonna continue to read. He says, you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. Now, now think about this idea in the context of the people of Israel. If you know anything about the promises of God to his people, you know that his promise was originally to Abraham that, that he would multiply him, right? He would enlarge his people. He would make of him a great nation and that through the nation of Israel, all the peoples of the earth would be blessed. And so here, if you're, if you're a good Jew, if you're an Israelite, you know that, that if God is increasing the nation, it's a sign of God's blessing. It's a sign of God's promise and his purpose in your life being fulfilled. And therefore, it would cause you to rejoice and to have joy because you see God's promises working out in your life. Therefore, they rejoice before God. And, and, I, and I guess I'd just like to pause there and, and, and ask for us this morning, in this Christmas season, as we, as we look at the words of Isaiah and we understand the context of the people of God, 
How, how do you respond to the issues of darkness and light in your life this morning? I mean, sometimes we can experience a sense of gloom and darkness in our lives too, right? I mean, life is difficult. The Bible pulls no punches. God has no illusions that life in this world is somehow going to be a piece of cake or it's going to be easy skating, that you're never going to have any difficulty. There won't be any problems. It's not a promise that you're never going to have any pain or suffering in life. What is it? It's a promise that God is with you in the midst of your pain and suffering. And if you trust in him, he can bring you through the most difficult times in your life to experience his wholeness and his completeness, his shalom in your life as well. I, I don't know if you've ever done this. I know I have. Have you ever walked through a dark room where you can't see because, you know, somebody's sleeping and you're trying to get through and, and, and somebody left something out in the middle of the floor and you stub your toe on it and you're like, oh! Or maybe you think you're farther from the wall and you are and you like smack your head into the wall and you're like, oh! Right? I mean, walking in darkness is never an easy thing. And Isaiah reminds us that when we're not walking with the Lord, when we're not walking in the ways of God that he has revealed to us and that he invites us to learn from his son Jesus, then it's like walking through life in a dark room where you can't see where you're going. We end up finding ourselves stumbling through life and through relationships and hoping that we're going to find our way where we want to go, but not even being really sure how to get there or if we're on the right track. But when the light of God comes, when the light of God dawns in our lives and we open our hearts to his truth and his light in our lives, we have joy and peace, not because life becomes easy, but because we know where God is leading us and we have faith that if we follow him, He's going to lead us to the completion and the fulfillment of why he created us and called us to himself. So through the eyes of faith, we look at the challenges of life and we understand that, that these challenges are true and darkness is real and, and evil is alive and well on planet earth. But even though these challenges are real, the Bible affirms for us and Isaiah reminds us this morning that they are not the real reality. They are not the final word or the ultimate reality as people of God. We always have to be deciding on what reading of life we're going to put our faith in because God has a different way of reading the circumstances of our life. And if we put our trust in him and know that he has our best interests at heart, we can choose to live by his peace and his joy even when we're going through difficult circumstances. Now, I don't know about you, I, I, I know that if I tend to focus on the darkness or the hopelessness or the disappointments in my life, I may begin to conclude that, that God just doesn't care or he's, he's not even around or sometimes we can even begin to doubt whether God is real. Maybe he's abandoned us and we can be tempted to give up or to give in and to go a different way. However, if we learn from Scripture to recall the past story of God and his relationship with his people, to remember his present promises are for you and for me and not just for those people thousands of years ago, we are reminded that he is a God who has the power and the wisdom and the willingness to walk with us and to save us. Isaiah insists that this darkness is true, but it's not the whole truth. It's not the primary truth. When we trust in the Lord, God promises us two things that we see here in the passage of Isaiah. He promises, promises us fruitfulness, and he promises us victory. 
right? There's two spheres that that Isaiah presented here in verse 3. There's harvest and there's plunder. One one is a motif from nature and gardening, and the other is a a motif from warfare. And, and, And when you are a good gardener and you produce a good harvest in your life, you experience fruitfulness. And, and when you're a good soldier and you do, a, you fight a good fight and you win the battle, then you re- reap the rewards of, of the plunder, right? Both fruitful harvest and victory in battle have become intimate themes in the Christian life as we look at what is God's desire for you and for me. He wants us to experience the fruitfulness of his blessing in our lives, and he wants us to experience the victory in our lives over all of the things that would seek to get us off track in our relationship with him. As you enter into Christmas this season, uh, how fruitful do you feel your life is? Are you feeling and you're experiencing the, the overflow of the outcome of God's blessing and who you created you to be? And do you have a sense of purposefulness and that you're using your gifts and your talents and, and, and your energies to, to make a difference in the world and the lives of people around you? How would you give, give your sense of fruitfulness in your life this Christmas season? Or maybe you can ask the question from from the other side. Where in your life this morning and in this Christmas season do you still need to experience the victory of Christ in your life? Do you have a a hurt or or a habit or a hang-up that that has been nagging on you that you just can't get rid of, that you just can't get over? And and maybe this Christmas season you're in need of, of some victory in your life. Then God's promise is for you and for me. For us, they might not be literal foreign armies or enemies that seek to kill us, but they may be real enemies nonetheless. Fear, doubt, anger, and depression, anxiety, and stress aren't these things that we all struggle with. Strained marriages and difficult family relationships, financial stress, and career worries. What is it that is preventing you this Christmas from experiencing the fruitfulness and the victory of Christ in your life? What is it that has you burdened and enslaved that you need to be rescued from? Is it possible that the gift of the Messiah is for you to experience the light and the joy of God's love in your heart in a new way in this season? Because you see, the light and the joy of verses 2 and 3 come because of three things that God promises in this in the following verses in verses four and five he goes on to say for as in the day of Midian's defeat you have shattered the yoke that burdens them the bar across their shoulders the rod of their oppressor every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning will be fuel for the fire now scholars suggest that uh, we're supposed to be able to read into this passage two historical references which you know I had to look them up because I wasn't exactly sure But the defeat of Midian goes back to the story of Gideon. And if you know the story of Gideon, he was called by God to be the military commander of this ragtag group of people who were going to overcome the the Midianites by by holding up lanterns. (laughs) 
And, and, and so the story is that God's victory through Gideon came not because of anything that Gideon did or how powerful or great the people were, but because God chose to use Gideon to rescue his people. And then if you understand the, the, the story of the Exodus where the people were in slavery in Egypt and they suffered under the rods of the, their Egyptian oppressors and God's greatest rescue in history was to save his people out of slavery in Egypt and to lead them to the promised land. These passages are to remind God's people of his faithfulness to rescue them and to bring fruitfulness and victory in their lives. The yoke that burdens and the bar across their shoulders and the rod of the oppressor, now through God's Messiah, as they receive the light into their lives, there will be no more burdens and no more blows of the oppressor and all tyrants will be overcome. Since the vision is couched in the terms of military conquest, the submission of the entire world is to be to this coming king who would represent God's reign on earth. However, in reality, the conquest of this coming king was not to be a military conquest, but to be a conquest of peace and shalom. The ultimate root of this victory was the child that was promised, the root of the stump of Jesse. In verse 6, we're reminded by Isaiah, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Is that good news? Is that your reality this morning? Do you believe that that is true for you? Do you have hope in this child that was born over 2,000 years ago to become the king after David's line, to give his life as a ransom for many so that he could become the prince of peace for you and for me? It's interesting, one scholar suggested that the emphasis doesn't fall on what the child will do when he's all grown up, but the mere fact that he's born into the world. In his very coming into the world, all of these results were guaranteed by God. Why? Because the child coming that's revealed here by Isaiah 733 years before he even came wasn't going to be just merely a human being, but was going to be God himself come into our world to become one of us so that he could rescue us from the inside out. A child and a son indicates that he is born of human parentage in the royal line of David, but he is also so clearly and obviously by, stated by Isaiah here, a divine gift of God's very presence in the world. I love this phrase, and the government will be on his shoulders. For many years growing up as a kid, I, I hated that phrase. It, it, you know, it sounded so political, and, and, and we're talking about the government, and, and, and how is Jesus ruling the government? And I, well, how does that? It didn't make sense to me. And then one day it dawned on me that, that in a very personal sense, the government, the management, the administration of my life doesn't have to be on my shoulders. 
that when I say yes to Jesus and I accept him as my Lord and my Savior, as he becomes my master and the controller of my life, the government of my life can now be on his shoulders and I can let him take control and I don't have to rely on my own brokenness and fallenness because I keep messing it up when I try and take control, right? I don't know about you. But see, when we say yes to Jesus, when this coming king becomes the king of our lives, the government can be on his shoulders. And I believe ultimately the political government of this world will be on his shoulders one day when he comes again. But in the meantime, he can rule in our hearts as well. Amen? The stress and anxiety of managing and governing all the aspects of life in this world can be overwhelming in times. What if there is one who has the wisdom and the power to actually manage and govern your life in the best way possible and towards God's best fruitfulness for your life? These are the very characteristics of the kind of king that he identifies with the fourfold name that he gives, right? Wonderful counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, it's suggested that there was a practice of giving throne names to kings back in the day. You know, if you were a king, you would get a, an extra name that would somehow describe your personality or the, the character of your reign. And in, in, in some ways, they suggest that David uh, gave his own son Solomon, who is his son and heir, a throne name, and he called him Shlomo which is kind of a funny name, right? <laughs> hey, Shlomo. But it's related to the word shalom, and it means man of peace. And it's related to this, this idea that God's peace, God's shalom, which is so much more than the absence of war, but has to do with coming to fulfillment and completion in life, that, that this new king that was going to come was going to be the Solomon that, that was actually able to fulfill this hope that God's peace would reign in the world through him. Wonderful counselor. The word wonder here is kind of a weird phrase too. He's a wonderful counselor. The, the word wonder means supernatural. He's a supernatural counselor or he's the one who can counsel the supernatural. And, and, and wouldn't you love to have a supernatural counselor in your life who can see beyond the temporary things of this world and the pain and the brokenness of our lives to counsel us on the path that we should go and can lead us in the ways of God. In fact, it's not only that he's a, a, a man of peace and that he's a wonderful counselor, but he's actually God himself, mighty God, everlasting father. Now, could you give that name if you're a good Hebrew or a Jew to a, a mere human being? No, see, Isaiah is identifying that in this king that would come is the very presence and power of God to fulfill these promises of God to his people. This prince of peace is himself the whole person. He is the complete package. He is the shalom of God living on earth. He is the perfect, integrated, rounded personality at one with God and at one with humankind and able to be the bridge to bring God's people back into relationship with himself. And as his rule spreads, peace spreads. As his rule spreads, wholeness spreads. As his rule spreads, healing comes. Restoration happens. Relationships are restored. Fulfillment is realized. Our purpose and our joy in life is discovered under his rule and his reign in our lives. 
It's an empire indeed, but there's no imperialism. There's no exploitation. Rather, there's this ending sharing of personal and perfect fulfillment as his shalom and his peace spreads throughout the earth. In him, we have a king worthy of our trust and allegiance. We have a supernatural counselor with wisdom to guide us. We have an all-powerful God who is mighty to save us from our troubles. We have a heavenly father who cares for us in a way that our earthly fathers never could have hoped to even achieve. We have a prince of peace who brings about God's wholeness and completion in our lives. And why is this promise assured? The closing line that Isaiah has in verse 7 is the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. That's another weird word, right? Zeal. As you do a little bit of a word study on this word zeal, it has to do with the jealousy of a lover's heart. It's the passion of God's heart of love for you that that promises you that because he loves you, because of his jealousy for you, because he doesn't want you to, to run after other lovers or to pursue other means of happiness in your life, he will make this happen for you if you just put your trust and your faith in this coming king who would bring you back into relationship with him. His love will brook no rival and is provoked by disloyalty. It's the power of his love that motivates God to pursue you and me. It's like Jesus said he's willing to leave the 99 to go for the sake of the one because of his passion for you and for me, no matter where we are or how far we've run. See, it's God's love that he promises that motivates him to promise to save his people. And thus, as we come to celebrate the advent of the coming king and the arrival of the kingdom of God into the world through him, it's not only that he will bring peace and fulfillment to our lives, but it's ultimately that he wants to rule in our hearts because he wants our love as well. The throne of this new and coming king is the heart's of God's people, and our response is to respond in rejoicing, which is another word for worship, and that's what we've been doing here this morning. We've come to lift up the name of Jesus and to rejoice in this gift of God's grace and mercy in our lives through his Son. Just wrap up for us this morning the question of Isaiah 9 for us this season. Who's sitting on the throne of your heart this morning? If you're really honest with yourself and with God, who's sitting on the throne of your heart this morning? Uh, Maybe a follow-up question. How's that working for you? (laughs) May the Prince of Peace turn our darkness into light this Christmas. May the fruitfulness and the victory that come only from his power at work in our lives be yours as you put your faith and your trust in Jesus, the coming king, who is the Messiah foretold so many years before. May that little baby boy born so long ago shine in your life this morning as the promise of God made real for you in very real and powerful ways. The good news message of Christmas, men and women, brings joy to the world. And his name is Jesus. Let's pray. God, we have been so blessed here this morning through music and word and joy and worship. We thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. 
the promised Prince of Peace who would come to bring our lives to wholeness and completion. God, we ask that you would come into our hearts again to be the king of our lives and to sit on the throne so that we can experience your victory and your fulfillment in our lives. God, would you make us to be people of peace as we share this good news of your light in the midst of the darkness of this world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. For me, I can't help but 